You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today... We are talking about a hideous, hideous Pacers performance in Orlando against the Magic. It was one of the weirder Pacers games I've seen in a while. Since the trade, it was the worst they've looked on offense. They played like a shell of the Pacers that were super successful one night earlier and really have been looking good on offense since the trade deadline. Talk about that game, then I'm going to pivot. It's buyout deadline day. If you're listening on March 1st, it's deadline day. It's the last day players can be bought out and then switch teams and still be eligible for the playoffs. Pacers maybe not being to be a player there, but the buyout market affects every team in theory. Going to talk about how the Pacers could be involved in all that. And at the end, I want to talk about Buddy Heald. He's kind of slid under the radar as an acquisition for this Pacers team, and I've been critical of Buddy Heald a lot, but he is giving this Pacers team a new element and fits exactly what Rick Carlisle wants to do and deserves a little bit of spotlight on this show. But let's talk about the games first. As we always do, this is a podcast about a basketball team, although the Pacers did not play very good basketball against the Orlando Magic. Last night, 119-103, the final score in Orlando. Pacers 0-2 against the Magic this year. Super weird. Good tanking loss, but in theory, a good tanking loss requires you to play well and lose, and the Pacers played horrible and lost in this game against Orlando. And horrible might be a stretch because if you parse in this game out to first quarter, second quarter, fourth quarter, so just looking at those three quarters, the Pacers and Magic were tied. Now, tying against Orlando is not a good, good performance, but the Pacers played fine in those quarters. The third quarter... The Magic scored 35, the Pacers scored 19. That was the difference in the game. That quarter was maybe the worst I've seen the Pacers play connected-wise since the deadline. They were, eh, they had a bad stretch against the Thunder, but maybe not a full quarter like that where they just, they were like allergic to driving at all, so they were settling a ton of jumpers and they made some weak passes. They finished with 21 turnovers in this game. They had 18 fouls. They got the Magic on the line a bunch. It was a horribly gross quarter. There were 13 free throws in the first like four and a half minutes. Of the quarters, so there was no rhythm at all, and the Magic were using that to get more threes and make more threes. They shot much better than the Pacers in the second half of this game, and the Pacers could not break that poor rhythm. And so combine that with the turnovers, Jalen Smith gets ejected in that quarter after being maybe their best player in the first half. Isaiah Jackson has two fouls right away in that quarter. Everything went wrong for the Pacers in the third. And then Chris Duarte's toe injury acts up that quarter. So all the third quarter, they've now lost their best contributor from the first half in Jalen Smith, who finishes with 14-6. and six. They lose Duarte. They already don't have Brogdon, who's not playing on a back-to-back because of his Achilles injury. They don't have Lance, who has an ankle injury. Suddenly, they have Halliburton, who can drive a little bit. And that's kind of it in terms of good rim attackers left. Dwayne Washington's been struggling recently. Kiefer Sykes can't really beat guys off the dribble. They had no rim attacking threats in their unit. Not only that, with Isaiah Jackson out with foul trouble, and even he's not that great of a screener, and Jalen Smith ejected, they were relying on Goga and Terry Taylor to be their screen setters. And Goga is not a good screen setter. Terry Taylor actually set some good screens. He freed up Buddy Heald for some nice shots. Terry Taylor played a nice game. He played almost half the game and was only a minus two despite playing in that third quarter and in some key stretches of this game. But Goga's not a good screener. All this together, a lot of factors at play led to no ability for the Pacers to attack the basket. They're bread and butter all season long. They're at their best when they drive. They're at their best when they get into the paint. I've talked about that on the show several times under different guises. They're better when they shoot less threes. They're better when they get in the paint. They're better when they play through Sabonis. However you want to parse it out and find stats for, the Pacers are better 
when their feet are in the paint, they're playing inside out. They did horrible at that in this game. 28 points in the paint. Atrocious. Only 24 turnovers. That's not like bad, but compared to how they've been playing since the deadline, that's pretty low. They did not get a lot at the rim compared to how they have been. They were very reliant on the three. They hit 15 of them, and they got 18 free throws. So their offense wasn't embarrassing, but they could not get anything going with the structure they had to get to the paint. And they looked really ugly offensively, and their defense wasn't good uh, either. You know, I talked about 18 fouls already, but honestly, their half-court defense wasn't atrocious. They just turned it over so much that the Magic got a, you know, a bunch of easy points. From that kind of stuff, you know, they they, fin- they only finished with nine fast break points, but it's a lot easier in semi-transition, and it's a lot easier when the other team is tired because they're not walking up the floor after a make to have more effective offense. The Magic certainly took advantage of that. Plus, they only had 10 turnovers. They basically had, you know, if you if you count six extra offensive rebounds and 11 fewer turnovers, the Magic basically had 17 more possessions than the Pacers in this game. So the Pacers' defense wasn't, like, terrible on an individual possession basis, but in the aggregate over the course of a full game – especially when combined with clunky, allergic-to-the-paint-style offense. Pacers had no chance of keeping up with the Magic. So a lot of individual stuff that, like, by itself, you get smoked in the possession battle, no big deal. You don't get into the paint, that's the only thing you do bad. You know, kind of a big deal, but not a huge deal. Okay, your best post player in the first half gets ejected, no big deal. All of them happening in the same game, and really they all came together in that third quarter, led to this Pacers loss. They looked horrible from that point on in the game, despite some decent shooting in the fourth, keeping them somewhat in it. They just... They got waxed. It was really embarrassing. It was on a back-to-back, but it was, it was one of the worst Pacers performances, maybe the number one worst since the trade deadline. They've got to bounce back. They should have Brogdon back against the same Magic team on Wednesday. Lance Stevenson, potentially closer to returning. We'll see where Duarte's toe leads him. Perhaps Jackson doesn't foul two times in the first two minutes of each half, and Jalen Smith will return, right? They'll have a much better team. They won't be flying on a back-to-back. In fact, they can stay in Orlando. They don't even have to travel for a road game. You know, they should look much better on Wednesday because this was a really poor Pacers performance. It's hard to pinpoint anyone who really played like an awesome game. You know, Tyrese Halliburton, if you just look at the core stats, 23 points and 7 assists, great game. Well, really, he had 6 turnovers as well. He actually shot somewhat efficiently. I would say he played fine, but his defense was not particularly awesome. And 6 turnovers is very poor. O'Shea Brissett, one day off of maybe his best game of the season against Boston, 1 for 6 with 6 points in this game. Jalen Smith was playing well, then got ejected. Isaiah Jackson could not keep his hands off, guys. Had a bunch of fouls. You know, Goga actually played okay. Shot 80%, 11 points. I know that I'm still the only person alive who thinks he plays okay with his defensive abilities and finishing in this game. He had two threes, which is big for him because he's always been a guy who has good form and is willing to shoot but never makes it. But Goga, still, he's just so slow that sometimes even on these games where his defensive positioning is good and he makes good pick-and-roll decisions and he shoots well, Still doesn't affect winning in a big enough way to look like a great player. Kiefer Sykes missed all of his shots. Chris Duarte was hurt and hobbling around. Dwayne Washington continues to struggle 4 for 10. You go on and on, a lot of guys struggle. Terry Taylor looks great. He had a very nice first half. I wrote in my notes during the first half, great TT minutes when he was plus 10 in the first half. He only finished plus 3. But he had 4 points and 2 rebounds in a short first half stint. He finished with 7 and 5. He's just such a beast on the glass for size. And 3 assists plus some nice screens. So Terry Taylor played a good game. Buddy Heald played a decent game, 18 points on 13 shots. Other than that, though, a forgettable night for a lot of Pacers and a forgettable night for the Pacers as a whole. A lot went wrong, and a lot of reasons it went wrong all happened at the same time. They'll hope to forget about this game and play better against the same Magic team in two nights. I mean, losing to the Magic twice in a month is very surprising. You know, the Pacers, even in past seasons when they were less talented than the Magic, somehow they always beat Orlando. This year's the opposite. They can't beat Orlando even when things appear 
to be going their way because the Pacers did play, you know, a pretty solid first half. They were up at the break and it just all totally fell apart. So health should help them in the next game and more focus on driving. And I asked Tyrese Halberton after about the the lack of paint touches and drives of the game. He said, "Yeah, I, you know, I don't I don't really know what went wrong, why we weren't going to that, but I'm sure that we'll focus on it and be more aggressive in the next game." So even they've identified it as an issue and something they can clean up next game. So I, I I'm imagining the Pacers will look much better on Wednesday against the same Magic team, but this was a very poor and forgettable performance for this Pacers team. One of those games that you use the film as a do not repeat thing. This is what you don't do. <laughs> they put this film up on the screen for those sort of situations. So very poor Pacers performance, one to forget. But let's move past it. They're going to play the same Magic team Wednesday. We could talk about that then. And I want to talk about one positive. I talked about this a second ago as one of only two players who played decently in this game. Buddy Heald has quietly, you know, despite my criticisms of him at times, been pretty useful and helpful for the Pacers in recent games and continues to show how much shooting can help a team and and really impact winning in a positive way. So let's take a little break and talk about Buddy Heald, one of the under-discussed guys the Pacers got at the trade deadline. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at betonline.ag because football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam ahead mode for both pro and college hoops. And for the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to seeing where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is where the game starts. Thank you, as always, for making Locked On Pacers your first listen every single day. Check out Locked On Now for your second listen, where you can learn about every game that happened in the NBA last night from the local experts covering every team here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's talk about Buddy Heald. And I have a feeling we're going to be talking about Buddy Heald and his future with the team in future segments on the show. But I want to talk about how he is playing, because this stood out to me when I talk about Buddy Heald. There's, you know, Buddy Heald is an excellent shooter. And has added a crazy dimension to this Pacers team they haven't had just by being a really good shooter. And he's had some flashy, you know, dribble moments. But despite that, you know, his inability to draw fouls and his defense is an awesome and his passing is, is, is as well, I viewed it as limited in Sacramento, are reasons that I never was really high on him. But then he got here, his passing's good, he's rebounding, he's shooting really well. He looks a lot better. He's playing a lot better. So my criticisms of him pre-trade have not carried to Indiana. He's looked much better than that. But the stat that stood out to me when I pull up Buddy Heald's game along with the Pacers, they win his minutes so often. Now, let's forget about this Magic game where they were minus 20 with him in the game. This was He was the worst plus-minus player for the Pacers, which it's not his fault. He had half his threes. He had 18 points and six assists and you know shot over 50%. This, this was not the game to say, oh, the, the plus-minus was his fault. But... Every game before this, plus one against Cleveland, plus eight against Minnesota, plus one against Milwaukee, plus 12 against Washington, plus nine against OKC, plus 15 against Boston. Every single game prior to this one, they win Buddy Heald's minutes. So what's going on there? Well, the first thing is the obvious one. And you can see this a lot against Boston. His spacing just matters a lot. Guys are glued to him in a way that this Pacers team has not had all season. That sounds so dumb, but like even it's, it's even on a different level than Doug McDermott provided the Pacers in past seasons. Like, we, we all know it. Spacing makes things easier for other players on the court. If you're a good three-point shooter, your defender is either farther out on you and away from the paint, so there's more room to drive, or he chases you closer, so there's more 
you know, more wiggle ability for handoffs or more screen, like more room for a screen to be successful. And there's more opportunities for like fake actions and stuff like that, that you can't do with worse shooters. And McDermott, again, was a very dangerous shooter, but he, besides off of Sabonis screens, was mostly limited to, you know, some stuff from the left side and spot ups or his buddy healed one. He's one of the best difficult three point shot makers in the NBA. And he shot very well from three for the Pacers, including this game against the Magic, right? 38% on 10 attempts per game prior to this Magic game, and then uh, 50% on three of six in this game. Shooting very well for this team. But he can shoot from anywhere. He can run out of either corner. He can run from the wing to the top, top to the wing, block to the wing, block to – it doesn't matter where he's coming from or where he's going. He can be effective. So that means the defense always has to pay attention to him. And as Rick Carlisle described it, makes the rest of the court four on four when he doesn't have the ball. So that's a huge boon for the Pacers and it regards and why their offensive rating has been awesome since acquiring him in Halliburton, not just because Halliburton's been very good, but also because Buddy Heald has made life easier on the Pacers. Now, he himself has also been shooting very well, like I just described, but that you know that includes a 1-for-13 game from deep, by the way, that he is still shooting successfully for this team. So that's one thing that stood out to, about Buddy Heald to me is that the obvious thing is valuable, that he is creating space for the team and, and boosting their offense. And everybody knew that that was kind of a thing. And Rick Carlisle talked about shooting being such a priority for this franchise at the deadline. And that's an obvious skill that they needed. But to just see it come to fruition and how much it's helping already established Pacers really stands out to me, too, with the Buddy Heald thing. And this is sort of where I want to get back to what I was talking about with McDermott. The randomness is something that has been talked about a lot as well that is successful for him and also successful for a guy like O'Shea Brissett, who's done pretty well, except for, again, this game notwithstanding against the Magic since the trade deadline. You know, now they have better passers and a lot more faster and free-flowing of an offense. Guys who are more random and more read-the-game cutters instead of just rigid cutters or rule-following cutters or cut within the play, like cut within what the play design is, you know, that, that can be a good cutting player. But random guys or guys who are better at read cuts Generally, those are more valuable, and that's why Bers- more valuable on good passing teams. That's why Brissett's looked so good recently, and that's why Buddy Heald really fits what the Pacers are doing now, because he—it's not totally random. You know, Tyrese Halbert talked about this after the Boston games. Like sometimes, one criticism of Buddy Heald is that he's a little too random; he's just running around. But when it's kind of organized enough, or when when that randomness is kind of harnessed into just like someone is chasing you and exhausted, that adds a lot of value. To the Pacers offense and Buddy Heald, just watch him on possessions when he doesn't have the ball. You know, it's not that he's just like sprinting around like Steph Curry all the time, which if he could, that'd be wonderful. That would make him a very valuable player. But he does run around in a way that is somewhat random or somewhat just him trying to find a way to get open and impact the play. And that has, again, value to the rest of the team and really wears down the guy that's guarding him and makes him a more valuable player. Right. So randomness is you know, unpredictability in general is just something that makes some of the best players really good. And Buddy Heald's not one of the best players, but Buddy Heald is, has shown on the Pacers how he can be a good player. And that randomness is a big part of that. He's done a good job helping the Pacers offensively in that way as well. And I think that's an unheralded and under discussed Buddy Heald thing is just the randomness. Now, the part that's made Buddy Heald good since the trade deadline, good with the Pacers is the other stuff, right? The randomness and the shooting, that's always been Buddy Heald, even with the Kings, which, by the way, he was very excited, as I've said on the show before, to get out of Sacramento. Since joining the Pacers, this is pre-Magic game, six rebounds per game, five assists per game. In the Magic game, he had six assists again, right? He's finding other ways to be impactful. Remember those numbers, six rebounds, five assists. 
So with the Kings this season, this is the same player. It's not like he just magically switched franchises and improved. Two assists per game with the Kings. Less than two, 1.9, and four rebounds. So he is not only helping the Pacers by giving them a new element on offense that is both helpful to their new young star in Tyrese Halbert, but they're already established players, but also is giving them rebounding from guard, something the Pacers have been awful at for years and years and years, and is playmaking in a way that not only has he never done this season before, but really never in his career. Like if you look at his basketball reference page for his whole career, his most assists per game was with the Kings two years ago at 3.6. He's at 4.8 per game for the Pacers prior to this Magic game where he, again, just had six. You know, he is certainly helping in that way. Per 36 minutes, tells the same story. Best passing stretch of his career right now by the numbers. And some of that, again, is the Pacers shooting decently and playing good offense recently and moving the ball very well. But it's all really coming together for Buddy Heald with the Pacers. I don't know what his future with this franchise holds. That's for a different segment. That's offseason. That will be a, a very commonly discussed thing. Where does Buddy Heald fit into the plans? But on offense, for a team that's best shooter for much of the season was Justin Holiday. For a team that didn't have a lot of randomness and, and, and ran a lot of set stuff. And even Rick Carlisle saying, you know, some of the reason we struggled is I'm calling too many plays. And for a team that would, would so often be playing a little more slow paced to have a guy like Buddy all of a sudden be giving them this new element and new found ability to play more random, to shoot, to, and he, he also stepping up and impacting the game in other ways has really changed the Pacers offense. And I, I, I it's hard to understate that, you know, uh, we, we saw this with McDermott in years past and I, I hate to always bring him up, but he's just the best Pacers shooter of recent seasons. But you know, the Pacers bench was awesome for like the last <laughs> couple years, really. Um, but the Pacers bench, like the McConnell holiday, uh, McDermott bench units, especially when Sabonis was with them was really good. And that went away when you take Doug McDermott out of the equation. Like, he was huge to that group being successful. He gave them space. He allowed McConnell to do his thing. He had brilliant pairing with Sabonis in the two-man game. Just from being a good shooter, he added a lot to the Pacers bench. And we're seeing that now with Buddy Heald, who with the Pacers, right, makes their offense. It's it's insane. It's only been eight games, but the Pacers' offensive rating with, with Buddy Heald in the game is 116.7 since the trade deadline. And with him out of the game, it's 91.4. That is a... 25 points per 100 possession difference, right? He has been a insane boon for the Pacers offense and almost unheraldedly. So while he definitely still has some flaws, his defense, the Pacers defense gets nine points better when he sits, right? Because his defense has been weak and he still makes some poor decisions, a little bit turnover prone with his dribbles, whatever. No need to nitpick while I talk about this specific stuff, just in the context of him helping the Pacers. He has been an unheraldedly solid player in helping them to have their offense be top 10 since the trade deadline. They've done very well with him, integrating him. His skills have added to the already established players, and they are now playing better substantially on offense. Those are crazy numbers. Crazy how much better they've been on offense with him in the game because of the skills he has, especially to me that randomness really stands out. And, of course, the shooting. They finally have a shooter, obviously, Halliburton as well, has really, really evolved the Pacers' offense. So Buddy Heald will be the, top, the the subject of many a, a, a segment down the stretch of the season for many reasons. But uh, he's playing very well of late and deserved more praise than I think he's been publicly getting for this Pacers team. Let's pivot to a non-Pacers-centric topic to close out today. Buyouts. It's March 1st if you're listening to the day this comes out, which is the last day a player can be bought out, air quotes, because that's a strange way of describing it, but whatever, from his contract or waived and switch teams and then play for that new team in the playoffs. 
How could the Pacers be affected by the buyout market? Well, they signed someone on the buyout market. Depends what happens in the coming days. Let's talk about the buyout market, which the Pacers have already been involved in. But first, let's talk about the good folks over at Rock Auto, because with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure the pointless and intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket, and you can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership when you can use rockauto.com, a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years? Their prices are always reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, you need it. They've got to explore their easy-to-use website today. See what they have for you. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. The buyout market, the last substantial thing where the NBA rosters changed during the season. It's been a pretty tame buyout season so far. Goran Dragic got a buyout from the Spurs. He is now with the Nets, obviously. Also with the Spurs, Thomas Sadoransky got a buyout. He's going to the Wizards. Pacers obviously did their buyout thing already, their big buyout thing. Tristan Thompson gone. Pacers saved some money, which could allow them to do something else, as I've talked about on the show. He's with the Bulls now. Those are the biggest three and really the most obvious three buyout guys this year. And also, you know, what this deadline is. So what's happening? I probably should explain that first. March 1st, I said this a little bit before the break, is the last day a player in the NBA can be waived and then join another team in the seat later in the season and still play for that team in the playoffs. Trevor Booker, if you'll recall, was waived by the 76ers on March 1st, 2018. He joined the Pacers two days later and played for them down the stretch and in the playoffs. You know, that's the kind of stuff that can happen. Troy Daniels was waived at the last second last year, ended up playing for the Nuggets in the playoffs in the bubble two years ago. You know, I was just looking through all these, these timelines to, to explain it for today. So it is a thing. That happens. On the last day, teams agree to this stuff. And March 1st is the last day for buyouts or guys who are just straight up waived. Sometimes there's no buyout involved. That's why these transactions happen now. For example, yesterday, if you were watching the news or if you were keeping up with the news on Twitter, you'll probably see it become official on March 1st. DeAndre Jordan going to get waived by the Lakers. They're going to sign DJ Augustine. You know, that's per Adrian Wojnarowski and Shams Trania have both reported that, right? Like, that's why this stuff is happening now. Javon Carter got cut by the Nets to get Dragic. He went to the Bucks. You know, all the stuff happening before on March 1st is so, it is playoff focused. So that's why this is the last deadline of roster changes besides extensions that really matters. So the Pacers already did this with Thompson. And in theory, maybe they cut Rubio at some point this season. I really doubt it, but he's not going to play in the playoffs. It doesn't really matter. But in theory, the bio market could affect them beyond that. You know, we've already seen some other cuts happening, like I just said, with Augustine and Carter and all those guys. But there could be other buyouts that happen. And normally for the Pacers, the buyout market's really simple. Who are the good players that get cut? Oh, look, Wesley Matthews is available. Wow, Trevor Booker. You know, who's out there that they can now get that can help them be better because they've been trying to be a good playoff team for the last half decade prior to the season. This year's different. They don't want the vets. They don't want the good players. They are the team doing the buyouts that the, that the then playoff achieving teams are chasing. So how does the buyout market affect the Pacers this year? Beyond the Tristan Thompson buyout already helping them. So there's not a lot of obvious bio candidates this year. My list is uh, Dennis Schroeder with the Rockets, Gary Harris with the Magic, as well as Robin Lopez with the Magic, Kevin Knox and Gorgie Jang with the Hawks, Mike Muscala barely 
with the Thunder, although he doesn't make that much. And Jeremy Lamb, ironically, uh, with the Kings. Basically, guys who get bought out are in this situation. They're in the last year of their contract. So it's really obvious that they have no future with the team that they're currently on. And they can make up the total money on their deal by doing the buyout and then switching teams so they don't lose any money. And then they switch to a better team. So those guys are all decent enough vets or good enough in their position that it would make they, they and they aren't playing very much for their team if at all. But if they switch teams, it would make sense for them to be good on a good team. So of those guys, only one even makes a little bit of sense for the Pacers, right? Like why would they bring in Dennis Schroeder, Gary Harris, Gorgie Jang, Mike Muscala? Why would they bring back Jeremy Lamb, Robin Lopez? All those guys are old. They wouldn't play for the Pacers. Why would they add to their tax bill to bring in any of those guys? That doesn't make any sense. Kevin Knox doesn't play at all for the Hawks. Maybe they want to keep his restricted rights. It wouldn't stun me if Kevin Knox is bought out by the Hawks. I mean, he was basically just salary ballast in the Cam Reddish trade. Um, which is why he's on Atlanta now. And this year he makes $5.8 million. Maybe the Hawks want to save some money, but I don't know why they would want to. If they wanted to open a roster spot, they have easier ways to do it. But it's not crazy to me. He never plays for them, that they would just decide to do something like that. If, if someone like that gets bought out, someone who is really young or coming off their rookie deal or whatever gets bought out, maybe that makes sense for the Pacers to step in and scoop it up. He's kind of the only guy, when you look through, like, like typically the, the framework for a buyout or a waiver like this is, an expiring contract on a crappy team that isn't really going anywhere. And the Hawks are maybe going somewhere, so they maybe don't quite fit the bill. But it's pretty easy to sift through about the eight rosters where buyouts make sense. And there's not very many guys who fit the bill of young, expiring, not playing, besides Kevin Knox. So he's the only guy that maybe there's a buyout, even, that it makes sense for the Pacers to scoop up. So in terms of the actual buyout market itself, I sort of doubt the Pacers get involved at all or scoop up anybody. But the reason, and something I talked about when I talked about moves the Pacers could make this season, how the buyout market could affect the Pacers and why they could get involved in some of the action is not signing someone who gets bought out, but signing someone who gets cut because of a buyout, right? Because look at the Nets. The Nets just scooped up Goran Dragic a week ago or however many days ago. And to do that, they had to clear a roster spots. They cut Javon Carter. And Javon Carter's down the bucks. They also benefited from the Goran Dragic buyout, but not because... They got Goran Dragic. They just got the guy who the Nets cut in that move, right? And, Dra- and you know, Javon Carter is 26 and was a second-round pick just two seasons ago and is a nosy defender. He's already playing in nine minutes in his first game with the box. He might be in their rotation for a little bit because they're really banged up. Right? You can get value from that kind of stuff. So it's not great. Like, like Gary, like all these guys, it, it, the more buyouts, the more likely it is that someone who's an odd – like Kevin Knox could be waived so that the Hawks can sign a buyout guy. Right? Maybe that's how Knox gets becomes wiggled free in the situation. That's just an example. There are a number of ways that this could happen, but that's how the Pacers need to should keep an eye on the buyout market. Not necessarily who gets bought out, because those are typically vets who are going to help teams play in playoff situations, like your Tristan Thompson, who the Pacers bought out and is now with the Bulls playing for them, giving them back a big man minutes that they've desperately needed all season. Instead, for the Pacers, what it could be is who do these teams cut? Who do the Wizards cut? to get Thomas Sadoransky. Who do you know the, the the Nets cut to get Dragic? Who do the Bulls cut? It was Alfonso McKinney to get Tristan Thompson, right? That's the kind of stuff the Pacers should play pay attention to. You know, do the do the Sixers have to cut someone to sign DeAndre Jordan if they decide to ultimately do that? Since he got cut by the Lakers, so they could sign DJ Augustine. All these ripple effects matter. And so that's where the Pacers can play in and watch the bio market. So as today develops, or as if you're listening to this after March 1st, as you see what happened on the buyout market, think about 
okay, who is going to get cut in total, not just who got bought out, because that's where the Pacers could find some value. It, it, it's impossible to predict who could get cut in these situations because you have to know who gets bought out, right? No one could get bought out, and then this is a total dud, and does it matter for the Pacers? And they'll look for internal candidates for their potentially for their last roster spot, or maybe they bring in someone on a 10-day, whatever. But maybe they they see value from someone who gets away from another team with their last roster spot, and they still haven't signed someone into that TT spot yet. The tax is still something they have to worry about. So we'll see what happens for them you know, as, as this goes on. But it's worth monitoring the buyout market for the Pacers, not necessarily because of who's bought out, but because of the ripple effects from that. And because waivers take two days, Maybe think about this until like Friday or you know March third ish is about the date I would say that the pace, the ripple effects from this will all be done and set in stone, and then the Pacers will kind of know their roster building path forward for the rest of the season. I wanted to talk about the buyout market on the day I squeezed it in, and that's the last roster changes thing for the rest of the season. So the Pacers will sign someone eventually, I presume, or else why would they have bought out Tristan Thompson? Other than that, you're looking at the Pacers team; they'll have the rest of the season as they forge on for their final. 19 games. We'll, of course, be talking about them every single day here on the Locked On Pacers podcast. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode and learned something new. If you did, I'm glad. If not, I got to do better. You can find me on Twitter at TEastNBA and this show at Locked On Pacers. If you have any questions, you can also reach me there. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day, and we will see you tomorrow.